Oy vey. Oh, I do not believe this. It's unbelievable, that's why. It's inconceivable. It's totally unprecedented. Do you realize this is the third refund I've had to give out in this month alone? Well, perhaps I should introduce myself. My name is Brian Goldstein. My brother Zacchaeus and I, we were raised in a traditional Jewish household. We went to synagogue every Sabbath. We learned about the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. We studied the Law and the Prophets, and of course, we memorized the Ten Commandments off by heart. But it was the Fifth Commandment that really impacted my brother Zacchaeus and I. Children, honor your parents so that it may go well with you in the, Lord, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That was the First Commandment with a promise, long life and blessing. So you better believe when our parents spoke, we listened and obeyed. Dad was always sharing his witticisms and proverbs with us. He'd say, boys, a denarii saved is a denarii earned. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Guys, don't forget the golden rule. Always treat other people like you yourself would like to be treated. But the one that stuck in our minds, he would say over and over again, there's only two sure things in this world, death and taxes. I know for a fact that's why Zach, well, call my brother Zach for short, be, and because he's short, he took a government position as a tax collector, a publican they called them. Not a very good choice socially, but financially he's done quite well. He has a beautiful home down in Jericho. He's got a healthy bank account. He drives the latest 01 chariot. Now me, I've done quite well. I went in the other direction. I went into real estate. In fact, I would love to sell you the last piece of property you will ever need in this world. Now you're saying to yourself, you're just an undertaker, a mortician. I'm so much more than that. I'm an entrepreneur. I have all the angles covered. Sure, I have some of the finest real estate in and around Jerusalem for burial, overlooking from the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, but I also import the finest Egyptian cotton that'll keep you wrapped up snug as a bug in a rug in your final resting place. I import the finest spices and perfumes that'll keep you smelling fresh all through your special day and beyond. I also have a professional team of mourners. They will weep and wail and cry and let people just know how important you are or how important you think you were. But all of this changed about three years ago. This Jesus of Nazareth came to town, a carpenter's son, the man of Galilee, they called him. I tell you, have you ever heard of anything good coming out of Nazareth? Oh, he was harmless enough at first. He conjured some wine at weddings, did some tricks with fish and bread, some say he can even walk on water. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now really, I have no problem with that. To each his own. But then he started healing people. I'm not talking about the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the lame. It'll be years before I ever see any business out of them. That's fine. 
But do you know what in the first century was the number one cause of death? Leprosy. That's right. Now, admittedly, they're not high-end clients typically, but it's all about cash flow. They're my bread and butter, meat and potatoes. And Jesus sometimes is healing them ten at a time. If it only stopped there. But look at this. The Doug account. Now, poor Doug, he had the palsy. And he was sick of it. He knew he was a goner. But he also knows you can't take it with you, right? So he took advantage of our layaway program. He came in and paid in full for a service with all the bells and whistles. He was going to go out in style. But then the deacons at Auburn heard Jesus was in town. They picked up Doug, bed and all, and took him down the street to the house where Jesus was teaching. Problem. So many people, they couldn't even get near the door. But Walter was undeterred. He had an idea. <laughs> Pretty soon, they were literally tearing the roof off that place and lowered Doug right smack dab in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus looked up and he could even see their faith and determination. He looked at Doug and said, my son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, the Pharisees, oh, they blew a gasket. They had a fit. Who but God alone can forgive sin? Who does Jesus think he is? Jesus looked at them right in the eye. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say to a paralyzed man, take up your bed and walk? He looked at Doug and said, get up. Take your bed and walk. Doug didn't hesitate. He jumped up like a spring chicken, rolled up his bed under his arm, walked through the crowd, out the door, down the road, and into my office and said, I want a full refund. I've never felt so good as when Jesus forgave my sin. Look at this one. The Jairus account. He was a leader in our synagogue. His only daughter not even a teenager, was on her deathbed. In fact, he'd already called for my team of mourners to come and start the grieving process. You could hear them crying a block away. But Jesus, or Jairus, his only daughter, he went to find Jesus. And he was on his way back when I could tell by the sound of my team that it was too late. They'd turned it up a notch. She was dead. In fact, they sent someone to stop Jairus and said, don't bother the master. It's too late. Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't worry. Just believe. When they got to the house, Jesus told everybody, be quiet. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Well, they just laughed and mocked him. And said, My guys are professionals. Dead is dead. But he cleared everybody out of the room except mom and dad and a few trusted disciples. And it seemed like no time at all that Jesus came out holding the young girl's hand. She was just as fit as a fiddle. He said, give her something to eat. She's hungry. Then, the widow of Nain, this one. Her poor husband had died not that long ago and I took the funeral. But then her son took ill and died. Her only heir her only provider. I'd given her a good deal because she is a widow, 
And as we headed out, the funeral procession coming out of the village through the town gates, who should come from the other direction but Jesus with his whole entourage? We met at the intersection, and of course Jesus had compassion. He could see his love for the widow and his concern. He walked over to the casket. Young man, get up. Guy pops up like a jack-in-the-box, starts talking. Jesus said, go and look after your mother. Well, the crowd was thrilled. They said, surely we have seen a work of God among us today. For me, it's money out of my pocket. Now, this next one, I should have known better. Everyone knew that Jesus was close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So when Lazarus got sick, we expected any day that Jesus would show up and heal him. But Jesus never came. So reluctantly, I took the funeral, and I waited. But after three days, I thought my money is safe in the bank. Jesus didn't come. The fourth day, Jesus showed up. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. He had a short visit with Mary and Martha, and then he came to the tomb. And with a tear in his eye, he said, roll away the stone. Even my spices, four days, 90 degrees, he stinketh. <laughs> but Jesus held his hand out and prayed and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus practically floated out of the tomb. He was still wrapped tightly in grave clothes with the linen over his head. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. There stood Lazarus, just as fresh as a daisy. Unbelievable. Well, I was sharing some of these stories with my brother, of course. We talked. And he told me how he had gone out to see John the Baptist with a lot of other publicans. And he had been convicted of his sin and had been baptized in the Jordan, repenting. And when he heard Jesus was coming to Jericho, that was his town, and he ran out to meet him. But there was too many people, and he was too small. What's he going to do? He runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a sycamore tree, and he waits, hoping to see Jesus. Jesus came by, stopped right under the tree where Zacchaeus was, and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your place for lunch. You better believe it didn't take him long to get out of that tree. Well, they're in the midst of lunch, and the Pharisees, again, so critical. Who is Jesus? He's not a holy man. He's eating with sinners. My brother jumped up and said, Lord, today I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, I return four times what I stole from them. Jesus smiled, had a twinkle in his eye. Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house today. Truly, you are a son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those that were lost. Well, my brother's own testimony convicted me of my sin. Me and my business, I had neglected the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I had put my business, my money ahead of God. I mean, it takes a pretty powerful conversion to separate a man from his money. I'd even started to change my business motto, Goldstein's Tombs. 
new and lightly used tombs <laughs> for sale or rent. I became a follower of Jesus. But what happened next, I did not see coming. It was the Passover week. This was a great celebration for the Jews. This is when we remember for hundreds of years we were prisoners, slaves in Egypt. <clears throat> and God sent a deliverer as we prayed and cried out to him. And one night we took a Passover lamb and killed it and put the blood on the doorposts and over the lintel in our homes. And we waited for God's deliverance. And the avenging angel would see the blood and pass over our house. God brought us out of Egypt and into the promised land. So this is a great celebration. But Thursday evening, they took my Jesus prisoner in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place he often went to get away from the crowds to have a time of prayer and fellowship with God and his disciples. The Pharisees and the leaders in the temple seized their opportunity. They had some sort of trial late at night. But none of their witnesses could agree on their testimony. And Jesus, he took his uh, right to remain silent before his accusers. It was driving the high priest nuts. Finally, finally he says, don't you have anything to say about all these accusations? Jesus just looked at him. Nope. Finally, he said, tell us the truth. Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus did not deny that. He said, I am. Oh, the high priest screamed and tore his robe and said, what farther need have we of witnesses? What do you say? Is he worthy of death? They said, crucify him. I have to tell you, I'm no lawyer. But if he really is the Son of God, it can't be blasphemy. It didn't matter what I thought or what I had no chance to express my views. They took Jesus, whipped him, beat him, led him out to Calvary, and nailed him to a cross, crucified between two common thieves. What a tragic day. But later that afternoon, Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. That's when I went with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. We begged the body of Jesus, and after a Roman soldier had pierced his side with a spear and signed the death certificate, we were able to take Jesus down from the cross. I gladly donated the cotton to wrap his body in the spices, and Joseph laid him in his own tomb. Now, this was top of the line. I like to call it the garden special. It had the Easter lilies, the sweet roses of Sharon, even a few poinsettias. And the ceiling stone was gargantuan. It took three men and a boy to roll that thing into place. But then I got thinking... I know Jesus. No tomb, no stone is going to keep him in the grave. In fact, I give him three days, tops, and he is out of there. You realize 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's Easter Sunday morning. My Lord is risen. My Lord is risen. Hallelujah. But I have a few questions for you this morning. Have you put someone or something in the place of God in your life, your business, person, your wallet? Have you ever told a lie, even just a little white lie, maybe to spare somebody's feelings? Like, honey, does this toga make me look fat? Have you ever stolen anything? Maybe when you're younger, a toy or something from a neighbor's yard. Maybe time from work, you left early and didn't say anything about it. Have you ever blasphemed taking the Lord's name in vain? If so, you've just admitted that you're a liar, a thief, and a blasphemer. How many other commandments might you have broken? Jesus went to the cross not by accident. It was God's plan. He lived a perfect life. He was the sacrificial lamb. If you receive Jesus by faith, trusting in his finished work at the cross, believing he died for you and receiving him as your Savior, the avenging angel will look at your life and see the blood and pass over. God has opened a way between himself and man through Jesus' Son. There was no other way to be saved except through Jesus. Let this Easter be an Easter you will always remember as you ask Jesus to be your Savior. Hallelujah. The Lord is risen. Amen. Brian left his notes up here. As someone who speaks, I always find it interesting to see what kind of notes people bring up to the front with them. And this is obviously Liz's handwriting. Smile, talk loud, make sure the fly of your toga is... No, that's not That's not that. Just kidding. I don't know if Brian's even in here to... I always enjoy when Brian uh, does one of these presentations for us because uh, it causes us to imagine conversations and details that, that may have actually taken place to fill in uh, some of the stories that we read about uh, in Scripture. And as I was thinking about the fact that he was going to be doing that again this morning, uh, it made me think about what the conversations after the death of Jesus must have been like. Uh, all of us have taken part in a post-death conversation. Uh, if you've been to a funeral, or if you've been to a visitation at a funeral home, or even if you just talked around a table of, of, of workers uh, at your workplace about the death of someone, you've participated in a post-death conversation. And often those conversations are a recanting of memories and, and fond thoughts of that person that has died. Uh, perhaps it was a tragic death, and so what's talked about is, is this uh, obstacle that just wasn't uh, able to be beaten, uh, how tragic it was that the person died too soon, uh, the hopelessness and the helplessness that that person went through because of the, the disease that they had. Uh, maybe you hear phrases like, I hope he's at peace now. I hope she is in a better place. We've had opportunity to be in those post-death conversations. But I wonder what the conversations must have been like after the death of Jesus. And, and this morning we, we heard a, a, 
it was a monologue, although there was four characters, so I'm not sure what we call that, a quartetologue, uh, of uh, uh, Mary Magdalene and Thomas and Peter and John and the conversations that they had uh, after the death of Jesus. And if we carried on in the passage that I read from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, you would see some of the details, the context that would have led to those post-death conversations. Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb and it's, and it's empty. The stones rolled away. Where have they taken my Jesus? And imagine the conversation and the thoughts and the details that we could fill in. Or when Jesus appears to the disciples who are hiding in fear because someone's taken the body of Jesus. What are the leaders and the rulers going to do to them? Uh, And then even Thomas, after Jesus has appeared to some of them, he's still doubting. And imagine the conversations that must have taken place uh, with Thomas for days after Jesus had appeared to the other disciples. I'm not going to believe I'm not going to believe until I see Jesus myself. I'm able to touch him and to put my finger uh, through the holes uh, in his body. You know, the death of Jesus is different than any other person's death. I think most human beings don't want to die. But we can't do anything about it because the fact is we're all going to experience death. But Jesus was totally different. He could control life and death. But he said that he had to die. And not only did he say that he had to die, but he claimed that three days later, he would rise again. In fact, Jesus staked his whole reputation on that claim. That he would rise again three days after being put to death. And if it didn't happen like he said it did or it would, then everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did comes into question. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead like he said he would, then every follower of Jesus who has put their hope in him has put their hope in something that has collapsed. But we're here again this morning, another Sunday morning where we are focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another Easter Sunday where we're focusing on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But does it really matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Wasn't it enough that Jesus was a good man, he lived a good life, he set a a, a great example of love and compassion and kindness and mercy? He left so many good examples for people to follow. Isn't that enough? It isn't. You see, the reality is... That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of Christianity or it is its greatest flaw. If Jesus rose from the dead like he said he would, it is the most supreme example and it's at the core of our faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead like he said he would, then Christianity Christianity collapses. And Christianity becomes no different than any other world religion or fairy tale. And billions, millions, hundreds of thousands of people have been led astray. 
But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then there is extreme significance and meaning for you and I even today. Because it means that Jesus was who he said he was. And it means that Jesus did accomplish and will accomplish what he said he would. But how can we be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? And I got to tell you, that is a sermon topic, a sermon series topic in and of itself. And I made a promise last week, and someone's already talked to me about it. I said that depending upon how long Brian went will determine how long or short I would go. And someone said to me after the service last week, well, Brent, I'm not sure what I should be praying for, whether Brian should go long or I should pray that Brian goes short. And so uh, I'm just going to honor what I said. And so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time looking at the evidences that Jesus did rise from the dead. However, it is a critically important topic. It is a life and death topic for each one of us to be certain that Jesus did rise from the dead. And there are scholars who have devoted their whole life to works proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, who everyone knows, uh, he said this, there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. And, and, and I could list a whole bunch of evidences that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus did rise from the dead. Uh, but for sake of time, I'm just going to share four, and I'm just going to really quickly go over them. The first evidence is this, and it may sound a bit strange at first. The first evidence is this. Jesus was dead. Like, it's important to understand, because there's all sorts of theories out there that, well, Jesus really didn't die. He just went unconscious. The, the, he was drugged. The, the disciples got him back uh, to consciousness. Jesus, as we heard on Friday and as we've heard today, Jesus was the victim of one of the most horrific, barbaric forms of human execution known to man. No one survived crucifixion. The Romans were masters at crucifying people. And as we talked about on Friday, the Roman soldiers bent the rules when it came to Jesus And they didn't bend them on the way that it was easy on Jesus. They went overboard on Jesus. To the point that by the time they nailed Jesus to the cross and the cross was stood up, a mere human probably would have passed by then. But as we know, it wasn't the right time. And so Jesus was still alive. But by the time they took him off the cross, Jesus was dead. It served the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders no good if Jesus was not dead. So Jesus was dead. Evidence point number two. And the one that I stake my faith on. The tomb was empty. I've had many people say, Brent, how can you believe what the Easter story is about? How can you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And I will tell them that the reason I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is because the tomb was empty. And no one can give me a better explanation as to why a tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers, that made 
no sense for the Jewish or Roman leaders to allow a body that was dead to be taken out of it so the disciples could start some crazy story and start a church that 2,000 years later has turned over the world other than Jesus rose from the dead and the tomb was empty. As Brian shared with, with, with us this morning, I mean, Jesus was dead. Uh, and he probably had about 100 pounds of spices put on him. He was wrapped in linen cloths. He was put in a stone tomb. A two-ton rock was rolled down a decline to seal that tomb. And the tomb was sealed with the authority of Rome. And you didn't mess with the seal of Rome. And the tomb was guarded at all times by a group of 16 Roman soldiers who were highly trained killing machines who knew what the consequences were of someone tampering with the seal and them allowing anything to happen to what was taking place inside that tomb. And yet, that Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Third point of evidence would be the eyewitness accounts. I remember a couple of years ago, my daughter Lorne got into a little fender bender just uh, uh, over by Airport Road and, and Lansdowne, and, and she phoned me frantic. And the first thing I said to her, was there anyone who saw what had taken place, right? Because when you go to the collision center, don't you feel much more comfortable knowing that at least one person was an eyewitness? Maybe two. Could you imagine having three people? How fantastic that would be for your case. How would it make you feel if there's one eyewitness that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead? How about 10? What if I told you 500 people who were alive at the time of some of the writing of Scripture who had an eyewitness account of Jesus after he rose from the dead. What would you if I told you that it wasn't just in Scripture that we read of the account of people who say that they had seen Jesus alive after he rose from the dead? We can be certain that Jesus rose from the dead because there's eyewitness accounts. And then perhaps another one of the strongest evidences to prove that Jesus rose from the dead is the radical transformation of his followers. Like, does it make any sense that the church of Jesus Christ, that, as I said, 2,000 years later, has spread across the world and has seen, I don't know what the number is, multitudes of people commit their life to Jesus Christ because of the mission of the church. Does it make any sense that it would have began just miles away from where Jesus was buried? If Jesus had not risen from the dead... If the authorities could not have said, he didn't rise. His body is right here. The disciples stole it. We've got it back. Look, here's, here's Jesus. He's just a rotting body. Do you think the church would be where it is today? Does it make any sense that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who were totally confused as to what had just taken place, who were huddled in fear of what the Jewish authorities were going to cause, the trouble that was going to happen, that... Someone's taken the body. We're in trouble. Does it make any sense that that same group of people would years later be willing to have their life taken away from them? Tradition tells us that all of Jesus' closest disciples had their life taken from them because they refused to recant what they taught. That Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, had risen from the dead. And that's just four points of evidence that can make us 
understand that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so if Jesus rose from the dead, what does that mean? What is the significance? Why is Easter Sunday so important? It's significant, first of all, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ authenticates everything that Jesus Christ said about himself and that he said he would do. There's lots of claims that were made about Jesus. He was a good man, a good teacher, a man of God. But as we heard already this morning, Jesus claimed that he was the son of God, that he was equal to God, that he was God come in the flesh, that he had power over life and death, that he could forgive sin, that he could grant eternal life. That's why the Pharisees, that's why the religious leaders wanted rid of Jesus. As Brian said, it was blasphemy. Only God can do those things. Only God can say those things. And yet Jesus rose from the dead, authenticating everything that he said about himself to be true. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it also affirmed that he has the power to do what he says he will do and what he would do. We saw that on Friday. No one could take the life of Jesus away from him. In John 10, Jesus says, No one can take my life away. I lay it down willingly. I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it back up. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus said he was going to rise again. And so what happened? And I don't know about you, but if Jesus says that he's going to die and he's going to rise again because no one takes his life away from him and and he's got the power to take it back up, if he says that and it happens... There's nothing that Jesus says that he can do or he will do that I'm not going to believe. And so when Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father, that he's the way, the truth, the life, he is the forgiver of sin, that he is the source of abundant life, that he's going to prepare a place for me, I'm going to believe it. Because he rose from the dead. And if he's got the power to do that, he's got the power to do all those other things. And finally, what's the importance and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus for you and I personally? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that our salvation is secure. As we talked about on Friday, Jesus came to this earth for one purpose. Jesus says, I'm coming to give my life as a ransom, as a payment for sin. Remember in Romans where Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Right? None of us can pay the price that our sin owes a holy God. And yet Jesus says, I'm coming to make the payment for sin. And to prove it, and to prove that my father is satisfied with that payment I will rise again. That will be my father's stamp of approval. You see, if Jesus died and he never rose again, then he really never accomplished anything. And as Paul says in Corinthians, we're still in our sin. We're a hopeless bunch. We are a group of people that waste our Sundays. We are to be pitied. But if Jesus did rise again, our salvation is secure. Our sins can be forgiven. There is payment 
for sin. For those who put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. And we can have hope. I was thinking this morning, what a hopeless world we're living in these days. Was it round six of COVID? The, the war in Ukraine seems to have no end. And there's so many side plots to it. You look at the world of politics. You look at the world of economics. You look at inflation. All these things. Where is their hope? And then we want to talk about death. Now, I've shared this with you before. The last few months of my dad's life, he was in and out of various hospitals. Uh, he had a, he'd had a number of strokes. He had bleeding on his brain. And, and they were just trying to, 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 I guess, to make his life last a little bit longer. And so I spent a lot of time in intensive care waiting rooms. With other families whose loved one was going through a life or death situation themselves. And it was sad. I wanted my dad to be around. I didn't want him to die. We felt sad. We were going to miss him. But I'd see these other families and they had no hope. Like this was it. As far as they were concerned, their loved one was going to be gone. And there was nothing beyond that death. And my brother and my sister, we could hug each other and just be so thankful and find so much peace in the fact that we knew that my dad had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that was his hope. And that he has eternity beyond what happens in that ICU uh, uh, area in that hospital. And it gave us such hope. And we have that hope because Jesus rose from the dead Brian ended his presentation with an invitation, and, and I think it's only fitting as well because we're here this morning and, and, and we've heard the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how relevant and meaningful and significant it is to each and every one of us. And what do we do? What's our response? I know that most, of, most here and, and watching online, you've already given your life to, to Jesus. Uh, and, and so maybe that's not your response, but, but maybe it's the level of our commitment because I've been reminded this weekend that, that God didn't give just a bit. Like he gave everything. Jesus didn't just go a little distance. He went the full distance. And in return, he's asking for all of us. May, may that be our response this morning if, if you are a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus. You're just checking things out. You're, you're a seeker for truth. And we're so happy that you're here. In the Bible, Peter was talking to a crowd who were seeking truth, who were seeking understanding. This is what he said to them. He said, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's the response that you need to make this morning. Understanding that that Jesus came to this world to die for sins, and and maybe you don't fully understand what that's all about. We would love to be able to talk further. After the service, just come to the front, uh, and we can talk about that a little further. But that Jesus came to die for our sins, and without our sins forgiven, we can't have a right relationship with God. We can't spend eternity with God. That may sound harsh. You may not like the sounds of it. There may be other places that don't teach it that bluntly, but that's what the Bible tells us, so we got to teach it. That salvation, sins forgiven, eternal life, abundant life, joy and peace only come to those who put their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift and the invitation is out and it's up to you to respond. And we would encourage you to do that. And what a great day to do it. Easter Sunday. Daniel.